What does the turkey say? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Boom. Yeah. The GoPro. Started. Yeah, and just when you think you That's all of us. Well, I have my cookie. Do you have yours? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take a bite? No matter how different it may look, everyone needs the Thanksgiving. Hey, machine. Share yours. Hey, good morning, Gretna. It's Pastor Rob. We are in the second week of our Thanksgiving series called At the Table. And the question today, based on the video you just saw, is simply this, is how are we going to share our table? Who are we going to share our table with and thus make it God's table as well? Last week, we talked about what God's table kind of looks like, this, this concept of, of being in community with God, drawing nearer to God, living in, in the light of God with others in community. I think it's one of the, the things that is most powerful about the church when we embrace it, and that's living together in community and doing so in such a way that we invite others to the table as well. Sometimes that's a physical outreach, a physical invite. Sometimes it's just because they see us together. They see the way we are when we are laughing and sometimes crying or wrestling with difficult questions or just finding the strength that the whole world needs to see, to be honest, and that the whole world needs to feel. Uh, we seem to be, as a society, turning on each other all the time. And I really think it's because we, at our core, when we're not in that community, when we're not at God's table with him and one another, we feel alone. We feel like there's nobody else that understands us. And so we get into a defensive kind of mode. This week, though, we're going to talk about not just what God's table is, that sense of community that God has prepared, that God has planned, that God is present in, but, but we're going to look at some things that might happen at the table especially when we make our table God's table. To do that, we're going to take a look at the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, but the, really the entire chapter is really made up of three parables. The parable we're going to read today, it's the parable of the lost sheep, and there's the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. They really all fall along many of the same themes. In some ways, the first two, the sheep and the coin, are repetitions of one another, trying to highlight and focus on just how valuable it is. It's one of the few places in Scripture where Jesus uses two different parables to communicate the same lesson. So I feel like it kind of matters. It's important to him. And then the third one, which we'll touch on a little bit, the, the prodigal son helps us understand a little more about what bringing others to the table looks like. So if you would, read, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. You may know it as the parable of the lost sheep. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. That would be Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. 
And so he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in an open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who represents, who repents, than over ninety-nine righteous people who didn't need repentance. You know, he's speaking to the Pharisees, those that don't think they need to turn back. To God, or they think they are living as God wants them to live, when in fact, they've kind of lost sight along the way. They've made it about them instead of about him. And so when he says, those who don't need repentance, make, make it clear, that's a dig. That's a dig at the Pharisees and those who are claiming they don't need to grow, that they don't need community, that they are already sitting at God's table, and really they're probably sitting at the kid's table. Right, We know that from our Thanksgiving feasts here in America, at least. There's often a kid's table. That's where most of them are sitting. So what do we learn from this parable? We, we learn first that God has shared his table with us, those who are willing to come to him. It says right out of the gate in the first verse, and the tax collectors and the sinners, those were the people that were against God, directly against God. And in some places, some ways, the ones that the rest of society looked down upon. But it says they approached him to listen. They approached him. And I think that's really, really important coming to know God. You see, God wants us to have a relationship with him, but he's, he's never going to force it. He's not going to make it happen. This is really our choice. And we have to choose to come to him and say, I want to sit at your table. I want to live in your graces and I want to be with your community and, want, and I want to know the hope that is your son, that is Jesus Christ. That is a choice we make. And the truth is we get as much of God as we want. Let me give you an example. A.W. Tozer, older theologian, says this. He says, revivals, that would mean spiritual uplifting or growth or returns, right? Returning to the table that God has laid out or prepared or desires us to be, be at. It says revivals or any other spiritual gifts and graces come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. And I think that's the case for those that don't know God yet. They're keeping him well outside of distance from them. Sometimes, though, even as Christians, I think we keep him at arm's length. We're only as close to him as we want to be or as we think it's convenient for us. When the fact is we're pushing ourselves away from the table. We're pushing ourselves away from that opportunity to really commune and connect with God. But he still, he's offered it. He's prepared it. And your seat, if you've come to know him, your seat is marked. He knows who, he knows who you are. He wants you here. And, and as we're going to compare that to the, the lost sheep here, it says these, the, as he begins to bust into this parable, he talks about the sheep who has wandered away, who has gotten lost. And I want to contrast that with the story at the end of Luke, which is the story of the prodigal son, just to kind of give you a, 
brief synapse, the prodigal son chooses to walk away from his father. In fact, he walks away from his father angrily and demands his inheritance now, which basically means he's wishing his father to die and wants to take what is his and walk away and do what he pleases. And he ends up um, spending, squandering away all of his money and eventually living with pigs and coming back to his father as a servant. And, ha and his father takes him in. Well, there's a, a difference there between wandering away, which is the sheep, the lost sheep in the parable we're in now, and running away, choosing to say, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm done. And that's important for us to understand because God, though he is pursuing you in some ways, as many songs would say, he's not chasing you endlessly. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to come to know him. He will be present. The table is prepared. The table is ready. But the choice is mine and the choice is yours to come and sit with him. For those who also, we also realize that as we share the table with God, we realize that the broken and the sinners are welcome at the table. And that's really what threw the Pharisees into a tizzy. This man welcomes sinners to the table. How, how fortunate are we that God says, no, even though you're not perfect, I still want you to sit with me. I still want you to be a part of what we're doing here. I still want you to grow. I still want you to be saved in the graces of my son. I still want you at the table. And a lot of that is because when God sees us, because we've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, what he really sees is Jesus. He sees him. And we're so fortunate that he takes in the broken and the sinners. But once we've come to know Jesus, and this is speaking specifically to people who've come to know Jesus, at least this part is, it's easy to become comfortable. The Pharisees certainly have. They've become comfortable sitting at the table with God, and they start to think that they can change the order of the silverware or, or order the food differently or decide how it's going to be prepared differently when the fact is God lays out the plan. And we're not intended to become comfortable to just take a seat and chill and essentially have God wait on us. That's not what the goal here is, and that's not what the expectation is for God's guests. And believe me, I understand. If I think back to Thanksgivings when I was a kid, um, my favorite ones were always going to my grandma Starnes's, my dad's mom's house. And there would be just a pile of aunts, uncles, and cousins. We would be sleeping on the floor and just cramming a crazy amount of people into a very small space. But they were such wonderful times that created incredible memories that are and created bonds between my cousins and I and my aunts and uncles that, truthfully, that was really kind of the only time, maybe once or twice a year, I got to see all of that family. And those are bonds that held today. And it's, it's really easy to get comfortable in that. In fact, when you're sitting at grandma's table, you are comfortable. And I personally would love to have sat there and ate biscuits and gravy day, day after day after day and never left or never done something differently. But the truth is, it's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a special time, a special moment. God's table is the same way in, in God's eyes. Once we come to the table, we become participants in preparing 
the meal. We become part of the community, part of the staff, because there are people in God's eyes. The table is still incomplete. There are still people missing from the table. In verse 4 of our text today, it says, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in an open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? It's as though God has an empty chair sitting at the table and he, the one planning the meal, the one running this, is focused on those chairs that are missing. And those of us who are blessed enough to have access we have, we have an expectation. He desires to go save the one. In fact, he sent his son to save the one. He sent his son to die so that we could, each of us, come to know him and come to sit at his table, come to be in his presence. But once we are in, he asks us to help him do the same. He asks us to help him fill the empty chairs, to fill the table around him. You see, we are considered to be God's hands and feet here on earth. We are here to bring people to God's table. In verse 5a, it says, he, when he has found it, when he has found the lost sheep, it says he joyfully, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back, proudly saying, yes, I have found the sheep and I'm ready to go. He's home. He's here. He's back with his flock. He's where he was intended to be all along. Have you ever um, had an animal, a pet, a cat or a dog? Um, they have a tendency, if they love you, to bring you gifts, right? And they're not always the most splendid of gifts, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> some of them smell, some of them are dead when they were alive moments before. And it's it's something you're like, oh, gee, thanks, I wish you hadn't done that. But, but if, you, if you watch the dog or the cat as they walk up to you, they are just dancing on air, right? They're kind of prancing along going, look what I got. They are so excited. They are so proud of themselves. And what they really want to do is present something to you because they love you, something that's valuable to them. They present to you. Now, carrying a lost sheep back on our shoulders, helping God be be his hands and feet, and reaching out to those who are lost and helping to draw them back to him, that's not quite the same because you're not bringing bringing God a gift he doesn't want, right? What you're bringing God is a gift that, though it may be lifeless, when you bring it to him, life is restored. It is a good gift. And one of the common threads we see throughout this text, through all of Luke chapter 15, in each and every case, when the, when the lost sheep is reunited, when the lost coin is found, and when the prodigal son who ran away from God returns, the common denominator we see in all three of these stories is a celebration. We see a party. It says in verse 6 and 7 of our text today, it says, And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. He says, look, when one comes back to me, God says, I am 
excited. I am happy. And the heavens and the earth are celebrating this. They're celebrating the return of someone whose place I've set, whose chair I've had ready, and who I've missed to be back with me. We uh, had an opportunity the last year to have our daughter, who's been away at college, home for a year. And now she's gone back, and we expected her to. And But for that year, I think I got a tiny little glimpse of what that meant to God. To see our, our daughter who had gone out, and we hoped she would go out, right? This is different than the God relationship. He doesn't want us to go out and away from him. But we raise our children to do that. But to have her home for a year, it made everything feel complete. <laughs> it made everything feel right. Everyone was here. And I, and I just, I can imagine God being so much more excited with all of the people that come back to him. You know, the, the scripture also tells us that, and there's a song that says, the joy of the Lord will be my strength, right? His, his joy is my strength. It's interesting to me that God helps us to understand and allows us to see and participate in his joy. I know, I know many Christians, frankly, that struggle, especially in, in dark times or when the economy's weird or, or with the struggles of our life and our society right now and kind of the uneasiness and the rising prices and um, they have trouble finding the joy. Finding the joy. What, what if we're looking for the joy, our own joy, instead of looking for God's joy? Instead of looking for the thing that he finds joy in and saying, I want to find joy in that too. You see, our God celebrates when someone comes back to him. He celebrates when the lost are found. He celebrates even when those who run away from him return. And it's amazing to me how much I see people when they join into the mission he has, when they become part of the staff that are preparing the table and they become part of the people who are willing to go out and search for the lost sheep and they become part of the people who are willing to celebrate as God celebrates. It's amazing how much they find their own joy in the things that God finds joy in. I guess it shouldn't be too surprising because that's the way we were wired. So as we begin to move through the holidays, I guess I'm asking for you to share your table. For you to remember that God has shared his table with you if you're a follower of Christ. And if he, you're not, he's got a place for you. Our job as followers of Christ is to prepare, to be ready, to create opportunities, to reach out, to get to know people. Yes, to invite them into our home, to invite them into our lives, and to invite them to meet our Savior because we want God to celebrate. And when he does, so do we. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.